Collider says BritBox has TV everyone should be watching. Stream acclaimed series with powerful performances from Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, Bella Ramsey and Matthew McFadden. Discover new BritBox original series you won't find anywhere else. Like Three Little Birds, Agatha Christie's Murder is Easy and a new chapter of BAFTA winning drama, Time. Stream what the New York Times calls the best of British telly, only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that once got busy in a Burger King bathroom. He is the captain. Yo, I look funny, but I'm still making money. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight we are drinking Liquid Sunshine by our fantastic friends from Breakside Brewery in Portland, Oregon. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. Liquid Sunshine is a German style Pilsner, Breakside's year round German style Pilsner, loaded with German Pilsner malt. And how do they get this unfiltered beer to be as bright as sunshine? It's magic, my friends. So go get you some because it is good, tasty business. And Liquid Sunshine was brought to us by everybody all around the world doing the Humpty Dance. First up, we have Brandon and Dale down in Queen Creek, Arizona. And we have Carol in Chicago, Illinois. Next, let's go north of the border and give a shout out to Lulu in Toronto. Come here, Lulu. Are you ticklish? Next up, we have Anna from Texas. And last but not least, we have Christina in North Hollywood, California. So thanks to everybody for filling up the fridge for this week's show. If you want to buy us around for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And again, a reminder to everybody in Parts Unknown, we are behind when it comes to the beer fun shout outs. So just be patient. We'll get to everybody in time. Don't go nowhere. Yeah, just be patient because we love each and every one of you. That's enough of the business, Captain. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
name is Tony Young, and I'm Kyron's stepfather. Uh, the family has asked me to speak on their behalf today. I would just like to say, Kyron, we miss you, we love you, and we need you home right now. We're doing everything we can to work with the law enforcement and the search and the rescue crews to make sure that you can get back to us as soon as possible. We want to say how much we appreciate the outpouring of love and support, prayer and thoughts, as we wait for you. Your school friends and their families, the teachers, the staff at your school, and the community as a whole have shown how much impact one little boy's smile can have on a community. You mean everything to us, and until you come home, this family is not complete. Please, Kyron, keep up the hope. We believe in you, and we know you will be back with us soon. I'd like to now introduce Kyron's father, Kane Horman. Kane, Kyron's father. We want to thank the community, the parents, the children, bus drivers, and all of those who are being interviewed multiple times to help find Kyron. Thank you. We as the family know how difficult and stressful this is, but your memories and statements can help us find Kyron. We will never be able to thank you enough for that help. Finally, we would like to thank the media. If it was not for you showing Kyron on every newscast, printing his story in the papers, his face would not be known to everyone. People from around the nation have seen his picture. This helps tremendously. Please help us bring Kyron. It's a parent's worst nightmare. Most of us have been there. You turn your head only for a minute, and when you look back, your child is out of sight. Your heart sinks, your muscles tighten, and your mind begins to race. You're stunned and you're shocked at the same time, but just as your mind races towards strange and scary thoughts, you see your child again, running and playing. Everything is fine. Then you tell yourself you're crazy to think such things. You reassure yourself, I'm a good parent. And that would never happen to my kid. We live in a safe neighborhood and my kids go to good schools where they have plenty of friends and good teachers looking after them. We are safe. My children are safe. But unfortunately, that is not always true. But don't panic. It's, it's rare. It's rare for a child to be taken by a stranger. But even more rare, an even more rare occurrence is a child taken from their school. This is not supposed to happen. Our schools are a place where our children should be safe from a predator, but then again, that is not always the case. Now, our story today is about Kyron Horman, uh, and he was born in Portland, Oregon on September 9th, 2002. This series is about Kyron. However, there are a lot of key players, a lot of people that we need to discuss in this case, uh, a lot of moving parts, as some would say. And I think we should take some time here, Captain, to set this up to explain the family of Kyron to everybody before we get into this so it doesn't get confusing later. All right, so let's start with the fact that Kyron's parents are divorced mm -hmm. and Kyron lives with his 
father and his stepmother the majority of the time. Yes. Uh, so the father is Kane Horman and the stepmother is Terry Horman. Uh, Terry was born in 1970. She was adopted. Uh, she spent her younger years growing up in California. And then later her family, this is a family of five moved to Oregon. She married when she was 21, uh, married a guy that she had gone to high school with in 1994. She had her first kid, her son, James in 1995, Terry and her husband split up. Now the following year, Terry married for the second time. Her second husband would later adopt Terry's son, James. This sounds like James's biological father may have had some trouble keeping up with the child support payments. There were some financial troubles on his end. Mm -hmm. And with Terry now remarried, she had been suggesting to James's biological father that he allowed the adoption to take place. In 1998, Terry started college and later went into teaching uh, at elementary schools as a substitute teacher. She had a lot of long-term contracts as far as being a substitute teacher. In 2002, Terry and her second husband ended up getting a divorce. So now the second husband is paying Terry's child support um, after yeah. this divorce. In 2002, Terry met Kane Horman, and they began a romantic affair. At this time... Kane is still married to his wife, Desiree. His wife, Desiree, is pregnant late in the pregnancy with their son, Kyron. Desiree files for a divorce when she is eight months pregnant. Shortly after Kane and Desiree's son, Kyron, is born. Then we have Kane and Terry and her son, James. They, the three of them move in together. Desiree starts having some health problems and these seem to be, I don't know the specifics, but they seem to be pretty severe. It's some kind of kidney problem or kidney issue, mm -hmm. like a long-term deal. Um, and she's trying to recover from them. It's once she gets sick that she gives, uh, Terry, the stepmother and Kane become the primary caregivers for Chiron. When you're right after she's sick. Okay. Yeah. So catching up with Chiron's biological mother, Desiree, um, after the divorce, she would eventually marry a man by the name of Tony young. Uh, and they would move to Medford, Oregon. Go ahead. And this is going to be her third marriage, correct? Yes. So it's actually a similar situation. When you think of both of these women, we have Desiree young, who's the biological mother of Chiron. She's been married three times by the point of this story. Um, her first marriage, she had a child and then she met Cain after they were divorced from her first husband and they got married and then this affair happens and they split up and she moves on with her life. Right now she has two children. Correct. And then we have on the other end, we have the father Cain who is, was once married to Desiree has this affair and then he ends up married to Terry Horman. Right, so <laughs> if your head's spinning right now, I apologize. But, uh, okay, so Kyron lives with Terry, his stepmother. Correct. And Kane, his father. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times in this story, we'll just, instead of just using their name, we probably should say his father yeah. or stepmother. And then uh, his mother, Desiree, and her husband, Tony, they live together. So instead of calling them by their names will say mother and stepfather. Now, and even though Terry and Kane, 
the stepmother and father started their relationship in 2002. It wouldn't be until 2007 that the two would get married. In 2008, the stepmother, Terry, gets pregnant, and the two have a daughter together. All right, so we have father and stepmother, mm-hmm. and then we have uh, Chiron. We have his half-sister, which is younger, and his stepbrother that's older. That's one household. Living in the greater Portland area, yes. Right. And then about 300 miles away, we have his mother and stepfather and possibly um, like a stepbrother. Correct. I don't know the child situation at that household, but it's but it's the stepfather and his mother living in Medford, Oregon, as you said, about 300 miles away. And these characters are the main pieces of the puzzle of this case. Correct. And in the clip that we played for the trailer, you hear the stepfather, Tony Young, speaking first. And then you hear Kyron's biological father, Kane, speaking second. And not all the time when there's a blended family is there a healthy dynamic. So mm-hmm. what, what do you think the dynamic was you know, before the disappearance? Okay, well, he- here's my thoughts. Um, they seem to be a unified group of four people. Um, we have a situation where the stepmother, she's involved with Kyron from a very young age. I mean, he's an infant. When, when, <laughs> when she's in his life, right. uh, which, Cause which is cause she's banging the father while the, the mother was pregnant. Okay. There's some things to talk about there, but before we get into that, okay. the, the, the one thing that's like, that's a little bit of a slap in the face is you have this situation with Kyron's eventual stepmother who she's on her third marriage, but she has her child with her uh-huh. first marriage and then she moves on, gets a divorce And we have a situation where she remarries and then she's saying, you know what? First guy, you're having trouble keeping up with these These child payments. Um, Maybe, maybe you should uh, let my current husband adopt your son. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all well and good, right? That, I mean, that could make sense, I guess. But, but then ultimately you end up splitting up with that guy. And now he has taken on the child support payments for a child that he adopted. Here's my thoughts. And I'm not trying to give advice to anybody because you know, the ladies out there are well, going to go, there's, this, this is such a dude comment. Yeah. But there's a, like a detail you're missing. So like they get married, then she convinces him or maybe he wanted to, Hey, you know, the guy's paying for the kid anyways, because mm-hmm. they live together and they're like, Hey, adopt my kid. But I think maybe, maybe it was nefarious. And then it's like, Hey, we're going to split. And then she said to him, Hey, what do the five fingers say to the face? Slap. Slap. <laughs> and then she's like, now nah, you got to pay for him, you know, for the rest of your life and or until he's 18. Yeah, but what I mean here, Captain, is I'm not trying to give anybody any advice on what to do. You got to analyze your own life, your own situation, and make your decisions on what's best for you. But you kind of hinted on something there for a second, because mm-hmm. my thought would be, as the second husband, my thought would be, well, what do I really care if this guy can't keep up with the payments or if he's having some financial trouble, I'm, I'm assisting my wife in paying for the, the raising of her child. Anyway, the kid's taken care of, right there. We're not increasing any, any financial obligation, uh, that I already have by making this a legal deal. Yeah. But I, I'm assuming that the stepfather did it because he loved the kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but that's also nice too, though, for the stepfather, because once they did divorce, uh, 
I mean, I think he would have some rights. I could be wrong. Since he legally adopted the kid, he would have some rights to actually see the kid. Yeah. Uh, I guess he was paying a small uh, stipend every month for the child support. Mm -hmm. And at some point, Terry had requested an increase (laughs) of about... um, now that see that's wrong. It was pretty small though. He he was paying like a hundred and twenty hundred. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was pretty small. It was like a hundred and twenty dollars a month, let's say. Yeah, which is is not enough to raise a kid, obviously. But and I think she requested that it be increased to five hundred a month, um, which is probably more accurate what it takes to help raise the child. Um, but it seems like a significant increase when you're starting yeah. to talk about one hundred and twenty a month. Right, but also if you're going. Uh, after child support, let's go after the biological father to pay this. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a lot of time and effort to kind of keep screwing somebody over. But in her defense, we don't know how that marriage turned out or why it ended. Right. You know, for all we know, this, uh, you know, we're, we're telling one side of the story, but, you know, if I told you, hey, well, they got married and this guy became very abusive and controlling and possessive, then we might not be thinking that she's such in the wrong for doing this. Mm-hmm. And then we have the situation where she meets Kane and Kane at the, at this point, his wife is at home and she's late in the pregnancy with their child. Yeah. And then some type of relationship begins between uh, Terry and Kane. And then he's got to get a divorce. You know, his wife Desiree files for, a divorce very late in her pregnancy. I was reading somewhere that uh, infel- infidelity in marriages goes up quite a bit during pregnancy. During the pregnancy. Which is, you know, pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, though, I guess it's another one of those situations where we don't know all the ins and outs of their relationship, you know. And the thing is, I I think it's easy to point out and go, you know what, this Kane guy's a pretty bad dude for running around on his pregnant wife. Yes, that's that's easy. We could easily say that. And I think everybody would agree with us. The problem I have is that I I've learned later in my life to try to quit judging who the bad guy or bad girl is in these relationships when they don't work out or when somebody's doing something wrong. Um, because I've proved myself incorrect multiple times just from people I've known mm-hmm. uh, growing up and throughout the years, you know, where I might think this husband, you know, I'll be friends with both of the people involved in the relationship. And I'll be like, you know, this, this, my buddy, this husband, I don't know that he's, he's a great guy. Like he, he doesn't work a whole lot. He seems to really enjoy just kind of drinking beer and playing video games yeah, more all, than, more than being a grown up. Yeah. All he does is drink beer and do a podcast. Yeah. And you're like, how does this, mm-hmm. this, this wonderful woman stay with him? And then, you know, later I end up finding out that, uh, she's running around on him and that's why she's gone all the time. Wow. So it's like, you know, you, you think, you know who the bad guy is and you really, we don't know when we look at our friends <laughs> in our family, we don't we don't fully know the, the the completeness of the relationship and what's going on. Yeah, I thought you were going to show an example of somebody <laughs> that cheated that maybe wasn't in the wrong, like you know where I look. Cheating is bad; you shouldn't cheat on people. But right. there are situations that you hear the story and you go, "Oh, well, that makes a little sense." Yeah, you know, like I guess I didn't really present it from the total opposite perspective you know i didn't do a 180 on anybody i actually ended up right where i started yeah, and well, i thought of another i thought of another story of some of some friends of mine that ended up in a 
in a divorce and but really it's not any different than the story <laughs> i just told so we can we can skip no, but there it. there are some times where like people have been in a relationship for a very long time and the other person isn't affectionate or doesn't care and basically just acts like their buddy or, or you know and then the it leads the person to cheat you mm-hmm. know eventually but you know they they basically didn't you know bound check a wow wow for a couple years and then they're just like i can't take it anymore hmm. and i and that's probably the only time that i'll ever tell somebody like yeah it's probably okay that you cheated you know hmm. um even though i'd i'd start with how about you just break the relationship off first yeah you know if 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 you're not bound check a wow wow for a couple years then maybe it's time to move on yeah well, uh, but anyways, we're speaking of moving on. We yeah. should move on because now everybody's out there judging us as we're talking about people that we, <laughs> we that we know. In our, let's like, get back to something we know something about, and that that is crime. Uh, and let's get away from this uh, Doctor Phil stuff. Yeah, we'll get into the disappearance of Kyron Horman right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, Captain, let's fast forward to Friday, June 4th, 2010. The place is Multima County, Oregon. Uh, Kyron Horman is seven years old at this time, and he is attending Skyline Elementary School. He's in a split class, a second and third grade split class, and Kyron is in the second grade. At 8 a.m., Skyline Elementary opens early so students and parents can tour the science fair. The school sign outside reads June 4 Science Fair slash Expo from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then there's a talent show 
from 1 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. Now, Kyron was to take part in both the science fair and the talent show that day. He's going to be driven to school that day by his stepmother, and they're going to arrive a little bit after 8 a.m. Yes, and Terry, the stepmother, she drove her husband's vehicle that day. This is a Ford, a white Ford F-250. The reason for her driving her husband's vehicle is that for the science fair, there's a presentation that's going to take place. And every parent that's had a child involved in one of these things, they know that you got to transport all of their things for their, for their setup at this science fair expo. Uh, and these can be large things, you know, you have a diorama and things of that nature. Um, I'm not certain. I believe that those items were technically dropped off the day before where they were placed and housed somewhere in the school and then later set up in this area that people would tour and view these things. Um, my understanding is that Terry, the stepmother drove the F two fifty to school that day with the intention of picking those items up when they were done, uh, and returning them to the home. So in the father's truck, we have Terry, the stepmom, mm-hmm. we have Kyron, and then we have his half sister with them as well. And she's just, she's pretty young. Correct. And so, so the stepmother doesn't just drop Kyron off. She actually goes into the school with him. And the reason for this is she's going to tour this science fair with Kyron. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we know that both of them were there. They set up this area where you have more than one classroom where you set these things up. So there's, you know, multiple rooms that you're going in and out of to view what the students have put together. Yeah. And at some point, uh, Kyron is going to pose in front of his uh, science fair project and she's going to take a picture of him. Uh, later, she posts that to Facebook, but this is also going to be a, you know, probably the most famous picture of Kyron. Yes, and at around eight fifteen a.m., Gina Zimmerman, she's the PTA president. That's the Parents and Teachers Association (PTA) for short. She arrives at the school and she sees Kyron with his stepmother in front of his science fair exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, the stepmother and Kyron spend a little time touring the science fair together. So Kyron was brought to school, as we said, by his stepmother, and then she stayed with him for a while and attended the science fair. We know this because of the eyewitnesses' statement. Around 8.45 a.m., Terry, the stepmother, she's getting ready to leave the school, and she says that she watched Kyron walking toward his classroom. She then leaves the school after watching Kyron walk toward this classroom. He's, he's feet from the door of his classroom. And I know you stated the date, but you know, this is a Friday. Mm-hmm. And this has been reported by several people that it was the last Friday of the year. Mm-hmm. But this is not true. Correct. There would be more than one more week of school after this Friday. Um, around 10 a.m., classes begin for that day. Remember, the we said the expo was to go from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. At some point, Kyron's homeroom teacher, uh, this is Christina Porter, reports Kyron is absent, marks him as absent for the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, one thing that's going to be very tricky for us, Captain, is persons involved in the investigation. Well, some have declined to provide some details of the investigation, including when school officials marked Kyron Horman as absent on June 4th. Okay, what does that mean? Well, obviously that would help narrow down when he's last seen. Uh, The issue here is a lot of the early reports that came out 
and still a lot of the reports to this date state that at some point he is marked absent. Um, what, what I find to be probably more true is that at no point is he marked as attending. So let's dive into this a little bit. We have the stepmother saying that she takes Kyron to school. She has the daughter with her. They go to the science fair. She takes a picture of Kyron about 8.45 or so. Uh, Kyron is going to head to his class. Yes. And this is going to be his homeroom, but the homeroom doesn't actually start till 10 o'clock. And then she claims like she never actually sees Kyron go into the uh, the classroom, but you know he's at school, so mm-hmm. he's safe. So she leaves. That's the story. But we have no record, or as far as like what the school is telling us is, they can't even tell us if he's marked in attendance at, at homeroom. Correct. It, it, well, as far as reporting goes, it's reported that at some point he's marked absent this day. Um after this 8:45 time frame. Now, what what I find to be true is nowhere do we ever see it reported that he's a marked he's marked as attending a single class. Right, but we have eyewitnesses and obviously the photograph that proves that he was at the school. He was at the school, correct. Yeah, but we they have, didn't take attendance during the science fair. No, no, they wouldn't do that. So, now we have as the captain said, we have let's go to 1:21 p.m. Uh, Terry Horman, the stepmother, she is at home. She's returned to her home and she posts photos of Kyron at the science fair on her Facebook page. Then at 3.30 p.m., we have Kyron's father, Kane, his stepmother, and his little sister. Uh, they go to meet the school bus. Well, when they get there, Kyron doesn't come off of the bus and the bus driver informed them that Kyron had not boarded the bus after school that day. So then the bus driver was asked to call the school and ask where Kyron could be. Um, She informed the school, she was informed by the school secretary that Kyron had not been in school since early that day and that he had been marked absent. Mm -hmm. The driver, she reports to the secretary that she did not have Kyron and therefore he was missing, you know, so we have the parents don't have him. He's not on the bus and the school saying that he's been absent since early that day. Right. At three forty six PM, the skyline school secretary, this is Susan hall. She called the nine one one call center using a private phone number assigned to the Portland public schools di- district to report that Kyron was missing. The 911 call center then reported this information to the police. At 4.33 that day, officers from the Portland Police Bureau and the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office arrived simultaneously at the school and at Kyron's home. Mm -hmm. At 5.30 p.m., there is a rapid broadcast message from the Portland Public Schools. This goes out to alert families that there is a missing student. The message is Kyron Horman did not arrive at home today. It was broadcast to the phones of parents across the school district. So we have roughly about seven hours or so Mm -hmm. of kind of confusion. Roughly about nine o'clock in the morning is the last report of anybody saying that they seen him um, that we know of. And then by the time he's reported missing, it's about seven hours later. Yes. Um, at 7 p.m., a Multima County detective 
notifies the county's on-call coordinator for search and rescue efforts Mm -hmm. to begin in a formal missing person search for Kyron. Now, between 7 o'clock and 7.15, the county public information officer begins to return pages from members of the media and arranges to meet them at the school. Um, at sometime between seven and seven forty-five that evening, Sheriff Dan Stanton calls the FBI to alert them regarding the child's disappearance. Yeah. Now I applaud this, this mm-hmm. move right here that, that the sheriff personally called the FBI, you know, you and I, when we were discussing a case that took place locally here, uh, the FBI got involved in that case and we learned some things from that situation, Uh, as told to us regarding the FBI and how they should be and when they can be and when they can't be involved in an investigation. And as far as what information is used at a later date regarding their findings. And we learned one thing from, from that case was that if, if they're involved from the investigation immediately, Mm -hmm. you can use anything that they, they found and they will likely stay involved until the case is closed. Well, I also think it's just pushing your pride aside and saying, Hey, look, the the important thing is that there's a seven year old kid missing. Let's get all hands on deck. Yeah. More, more than often we're reporting on cases where we're saying, you know, they were called in six months or a year after the case. Uh, or we're sitting there going, why didn't they ever call the FBI? We, so we have yeah. we have the, one of those rare situations where we get to see the FBI called immediately. Sure. Now, but we do have a lot of missing person cases, a lot of missing child cases, actually, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. So this is something that they deal with uh, probably more than a lot of other states. Now, shortly after 8 p.m., uh, the first search teams arrive at the Skyline Elementary School. Yeah. At 8.15 p.m., we have uh, Lieutenant Mary Lindstrom. Uh, She arrives at the school. She meets with those present at the school and then begins emailing a photo of Kyron to local television stations and uh, local newspapers. At 8.25 p.m., the search and rescue coordinator, uh, he arrives on the scene. They have uh, what they call Mountain Wave, an emergency communications and search and rescue group that arrives on the scene as well just before 10 p.m. At 10.40 p.m., officers at Skyline Elementary report that they have completed a search of the Skyline Elementary School, which includes all crawl spaces, storage areas, classrooms, and outbuildings. They have also searched the Kyron Horman's home by this point. At 1044, this is this is interesting here, Captain. A caller, somebody calls into 911, and they're aware of the search. They're aware that this kid is missing. You know, we said that that, uh, that text blast went out to all the parents in the, in the district. Yeah. And this 911 caller wants to make sure that officers have checked the train tunnel that is in the area near the school. She says that sometimes kids play in there and she just wanted to make sure that someone had checked that out. Okay. Um, using that information, they go and check the train tunnel. Isn't there also some woods behind the school as well? Yes. This is a, a rural area. You know, when we say Portland, we think of a big city, but I think this is out on the fringes, uh, you know, in the greater Portland area. So yes, the, there there would be woods in this area. Well, we talked about having the seven hour timeline. 
yeah or the the gap basically but i don't really think that that gap is really that important i think it's more important to find out from the school when they noticed that he was missing Mm -hmm. and was that in homeroom because if it was homeroom then we have like we said homeroom starts at 10 if kyron never gets into the homeroom now we have a 8 45 to you know 10 o'clock gap so about an hour and 15 minutes this case is also difficult too because you know, at some point they got to question these students, but these students are, you know, six, seven, eight years old. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's go through that. So, okay, so what do we end up learning about that day? Because by the end of Friday, June fourth, we have Kyron, seven-year-old Kyron, who's reported missing. The authorities, in my opinion, do a fantastic job of searching a good amount of area, uh, covering yeah. both the school and Kyron's home as well. And unfortunately, finding nothing, not finding Chiron, but also not finding anything to lead them to believe they know where he could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's go through what we've learned about that day after the fact. So at 8.45 a.m., remember, we have Terry Horman, the stepmother. She says she's getting ready to leave the school. She says that she watched Chiron walking toward his classroom, and she then leaves the school after watching him walk towards that classroom. Mm-hmm. However, here's the thing. We don't know. I cannot honestly say that we know for certain exactly when he is first marked as absent for the day. But what we can say is we don't have anybody that says they ever saw him in his first class starting at 10 a.m. Well, yeah. And the problem with this too is, you, look, it's not out of the question. If you're dropping your kid off at school, there's a science fair going on. You take a picture of them at, you know, you probably help them with their project. I mean, let's get real. Most of the time, your parents just do your project for well, you. And, and he's seven. Um, you know, yeah. it, it's, <laughs> these things can be complicated to put together, but well, they can be fun to work with together as a family. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, he's a very cute kid and, uh, you know, has kind of a goofy little smile and, and he's wearing his, uh, CSI t-shirt, you know, for, for the science fair. So that's, that's cool. And, but if we're to believe, Terry, the stepmother, if we're to believe her story, that she lets him out of the site, and now we have a seven-year-old that's roaming around the science fair, you know, area, basically unchaperoned. Really, I mean, the rooms are chaperoned, but the kid isn't. And so that's an hour and fifteen minutes of what could have happened. Did he wander off? Was there uh, somebody there to abduct him? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what we need to get away from is when was he marked absent because he's never marked as attending. So in my opinion, that's kind of a dead end lead because that leads to too much of a gap, too much of a window. So let's talk about eyewitness reports and statements. We have multiple people, multiple adults Mm -hmm. that report having seen Kyron and Terry together at the science fair. So we know that took place. We How know late, we know that we have that picture as well. I think that their statements fall into place with what Terry, what the stepmother said, that mm-hmm. she left approximately 8:45 a.m. that day. Um, we also have we have no person, we have no student, we have no teacher in that first classroom, that classroom that he is walking to, that that Terry says that he is feet from the door. We have no person in that room that was in that room stating that they saw Kyron in that room that day. 
Right, during homeroom. So like I said, 8.45 to 10 o'clock, that's our gap. No, what I'm saying is if he was feet from that door when she turned her head and left, I'm I'm going off the assumption that he was walking, as she said, into his classroom, getting ready to walk into his classroom. We don't have anybody that was in that classroom at 845 or 9 o'clock saying that he entered that classroom. So Right, I, I, I get that, but there's also a lot of commotion. It's basically a, a open school. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he walked in, maybe he walked out. But what I'm saying that to me is the most important thing because we have an hour and 15 minute gap. Right. Uh, we do have, we do have eyewitnesses that say that they saw his book bag inside that classroom. Okay. Um, So there's varying accounts of that, that it was either placed on the coat rack. You know, sometimes they have those little cubbies along the, the one wall and you could place your coat and your book bag and other things over there. And then there were reports that it was placed either on his chair or on his desk. Well, then my question would be, and I would assume, um, you know, just having years of the stepdad role. I mean, if I was going to drop the kid off with a project, we're going to walk into the school. We're going to go to your classroom first and drop off your book bag. And then we're going to go set up your project. Correct. I'm assuming that's what happened. I don't think that that means Kyron had to have entered that school room that classroom after 8:45 we do have a situation that takes place around 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, this is later reported to police Kyron is reported seen by a student near the south entrance of the school and he is seen alone what is the age of the student um i don't know that they they I might could, not. They might not report it, and a lot of these reports from the students they never say the age, and that's difficult because it could have been a six-year-old. I actually believe that there's probably a report somewhere that might name this boy or might give an age on okay. him, and I say that because the reports I found on this said, "and we're not going to name him." So I don't know. Maybe maybe there is a report somewhere that reports his age. This though is according to Dan Stanton. Uh, who says that this may be the last time that the boy was seen. Now, later, Multnomah County authorities would later backtrack on this statement. And I think this is because of what you and I were kind of getting at. Um, this is from a statement from a little kid. And it could be, if it's one of the younger students, mm-hmm. it could be, like you said, six, seven, eight years old. Um, so we have to decide do we trust that information? You know, did this kid actually see Kyron on that day at that time at that location? I'm assuming that the kid's not lying that they actually saw Kyron. I'm also going to assume that it's on that day. The issue is going to be, you know, can this (coughs) swallow the bug? The issue is going to be, can this student even tell time? Right. Or yeah. Or does he, does he know exactly what time he thinks he saw Kyron? Correct. Um, I do want to point out that we, he said that he saw the, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say he, the student says that they saw Kyron near the South entrance Mm -hmm. of the school. I do want to point out here that there are eight access points to this school building. I think the interesting thing to pull away from this is I understand that the sheriff department then backtracked on the statement law enforcement backtracked on the statement, but we have a student claiming that they saw Kyron by himself on that day. Now, if we assume that that student's right, that they, that it was that day, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was roughly around that time is in the morning. We have reports from adults that Kyron was there with the stepmom and probably at no point, like especially when you go to drop off your kid, you just kind of wander around with your kid because you, you don't know where to go. You don't know the school that well. Right. So, so the fact that the kid did see Kyron alone, I think that's evidence of something possibly. It's possible, but here's my gut feeling. And I think this is why, this is my guess as to why authorities would later backtrack on that statement. Okay, so they get this statement from this this small child who mm-hmm. sees Kyron alone by himself at the south side entrance. We don't know. I mean, he could be seven foot tall. We don't know how small he is. So they, they release this statement to the public. And what I think we have here is they've, they're going to speak to teachers, students. They're going to speak to everybody involved. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take days to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. But you also, you release this statement to the public in hopes that somebody, that it jogs someone's memory. And they go, you know what? I was in the back of the school or where, you know, I was near the south entrance or exit to this school. And mm. now that I think about it, I think I saw him there as well around that time. Yeah. And you hope that somebody has witnessed the same thing and comes forward. I think why you backtrack on that statement is because later, by the time you've interviewed everybody and you've questioned everybody and you've put together your timeline, you have, and nobody comes forward. You have no other person other than this child. One particular child that says that they saw Kyron. And I think that that's why they backtrack on the statement that they couldn't find anybody else to back this up. Like you said, it's a double edged sword because you have this situation where you have the school science fair going on. Yes. It's a lot of commotion. It's a lot of people moving around. It's a lot of people in and out of doors, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's also potential. A lot of eyewitnesses in and out of doors and walking around and in the same area. Right. So Kyron's gap of about an hour or so that bothers me. But the other gap that we have in this story is Terry's gap. I mean, she is dropping the kid off, so she's leaving the school. She's in the school, but she leaves the school about 8.45, 9 o'clock, and then she, there's no whereabouts of her till about 1 or 2. Well, w- okay, so let's go through that because she's extremely important, as you point out. She's the last person that we think may have seen Kyron. Well, uh, she's the last parent uh, yeah. of, of his. So we have the stepmom. Her statements to the police indicate that after – she left the school at 8.45 a.m. as she ran some errands. Uh, this would take her to a local grocery store. This is the uh, Fred Meyer store. Uh-huh. Um, and she says that she ran these errands until about 10.10 a.m. Because, okay, so let's let's go through this situation. And we can back up some of this. She's actually spotted at this Fred Meyer store by someone else at 9.15 a.m. Okay. Okay, and then she spotted at a second Fred Meyer store at 9.45 a.m. And these eyewitnesses, do they see her with any children? Yes, both times that she is seen inside a Fred Meyer store, uh, she is spotted with her daughter. Mm -hmm. So this is the situation. The child is a toddler, very small at this time, is suffering from some kind of earache. So the stepmother, Terry, goes to the grocery store, the local grocery store, in search of a specific medicine for the child. 
at the first stop, at the first time she goes to Fred Meyer grocery store, she does not find the medicine that she's looking for. Mm -hmm. So this makes her go to a second location where she does eventually find the exact medicine that she's looking for. Now, one of these eyewitnesses says that they found Terry's behavior to be somewhat strange that day uh, when she spotted her at the grocery store, stating that that Terry wasn't someone that would would you know often speak with her or carry on a conversation with her. Right. But for some reason on that day, she went to the extent of not only talking with her for quite some time, but even whipping out her phone and showing the pictures that she had taken earlier that day at the, at the science fair, uh, to this person in the store. <laughs> How's that odd? I, I don't see it to be odd other than the fact that this person's saying that she found the behavior to be odd. So Terry, after the two trips to the grocery store to get this ear infection medicine, she's going to head to the dry cleaners, the old local dry cleaner. Yes. And at this stop, it, this is a very quick stop. You run in and you get your dry cleaning, you run back out. She's not spotted with her daughter on this stop. Uh, but here again, we have another eyewitness stating that they have seen Terry around this time. So we have her from the time she leaves the school at approximately 8.45 a.m. to the time that she's last seen um, over an hour later. Um, we have eyewitnesses backing up these statements. Then we have a situation where we have Terry, by her own words, telling the police that between about 10.10 a.m., in 11.39 a.m., mm-hmm. she states that she drove her daughter around town. This is an attempt to use, you know, you try to soothe the child. Some kids fall asleep very easily in a car. This kid is suffering from an earache, and she's saying that, you know what, I drove the kid around for a while to try to calm the kid down, let the medicine take its effect, mm-hmm. and hopefully put the kid to, to sleep because... Everybody knows the best way to get through a cold uh, with the least amount of pain is to in discomfort is to try to sleep the thing off. Yeah, I, I don't know much about driving kids around like little babies to get them to sleep. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I have no information about that, but it to me it seems like a hour and a half time is kind of long. It seems yeah, like a <laughs> you're right, an yeah. hour and a half, ninety minutes of driving around hoping to soothe the child and but but let me know I mean asleep. any mothers or fathers out there I mean maybe that's not that weird I don't think that it's weird to drive them around I think you're onto something here that maybe the length of time that we're talking about seems more strange than the than yeah, the actual I, driving yeah. around I don't think the driving around part's weird but you know parents reach out to us let us know if an hour and a half is a little too ridiculous so then around um just after 11:39 she is at a local gym um that morning and where she worked out for approximately an hour. Okay, so you said 11:39. So like we have a pre- like a time stamp like maybe she had to check in or they had surveillance cameras. So I mean, it's a pretty hard 11:39. Yes. And, you know, usually with these gyms, we all know you have to check in. You have a key card or something of that nature. They're usually, they usually know when you're there. Um, I also believe that this is the type of gym where you can have them watch your younger child. You know, uh-huh. they may have a little play area or something of that nature. So you can work out uh, even if you have a child with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's there for about an hour. And the kid's with her. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then she is, it says by 1.20 p.m. she had arrived home uh, back to Chiron and the Horman home uh, where she lived with her husband. And how do we know that? Um, well, we have her husband uh, at home. He, okay, because he worked from home several times a, uh, a week. And we also have the situation where she is posting the pictures on Facebook from her home computer. Right. So we know she was physically there at this point. Um, like you said, the husband, Kane, he sometimes worked from home. It's my understanding that he worked um, a short day that day and had returned home and he was having lunch around the time that she arrived at the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had promised to uh, take Kyron out for ice cream after school because he did all this hard work on his project, um, kind of a, a reward. Well, which, and summer's right around the corner, so this is something you kind of do as parents, you know. It's a, it's Friday. You start the weekend off nice, you know. It's a good, good thing. Yeah, so then at three around 3.30 p.m. that day, he, the stepmother, and their daughter walk down to the bus stop to collect Chiron in hopes to go to get ice cream. Then it's noticed that he's, he's been, he's missing. Not only is he missing, he's been missing for quite some time and all hell breaks loose. Right. My big question is what is the time stamp of the dry cleaners? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we obviously have her in the supermarket about nine fifteen to let's say nine forty five. So we basically have 9.45 to uh, 11.39. Mm-hmm. That's the gap we have. But if we have the dry cleaning record at, at, at 10 o'clock or 10.15, then that shortens the gap. Of, of Well, and I think the gap should be shortened. Um, and this is a good good thing you bring up here. I don't have the timestamp for the receipt of the dry cleaning, nor do I have a time from the eyewitness that placed her there. Right. Um, but what I do have is Terry's own words stating that from 10, 10 AM until about 1139 AM when she arrives at the gym, when we know she arrived at the gym, right, right. That, that she was just simply driving around and there's nobody, there's no report of anybody disputing anything before 10, 10 AM. So it could be that that there's some report or somebody knows something that she was spotted at 10.05 or 10.08 or 9. At right, the dry so we, but we have an hour and a half gap. Correct, of right. driving around to soothe the young toddler's earache. All right, so the day of the disappearance, where was his mother? Where was Chiron's mother? Uh, his mother, Desiree, would have been in, in the city of Medford, which, as we pointed out, is about, it's about 275 miles away, uh, so about a four-hour drive from the Portland area and his stepfather, the, his, the one that's a detective, same thing. The stepfather was in the city of Medford that day going about their regular Friday daily lives. So the day of disappearance, we have, uh, two gaps. Mm-hmm. We have a gap in the story. Well, we ac- actually have three gaps. We have a gap in Chiron's uh, timeline. Mm-hmm. We have a gap in Terry, the stepmom's timeline. And there's kind of a gap for me with the father's timeline as well. Yes, because all we know about his timeline is that uh, he goes off to work, he returns home, and he then sees his his wife and plans to go to the 
the school the the bus stop to pick up his son. Yeah, and I would argue that if if the FBI got involved right away, they probably have some activity on the home computer. I don't know if you can prove prove who was making that activity. So I just want to leave that as a question mark. This is just part one of a four part series. Yes, and we got a lot more to get to with this. A lot of questionable behavior through the next few days and weeks coming up, but we also have a search that's really kicking off and we'll pick up there on tomorrow's show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thank you for sharing this stuff on social media. One of the main things is just to keep these cases and the public spotlight. So thank you so much. We're going to get into the search for Kyron Horman in tomorrow's episode. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.